well, we started off with the summer holiday. We had swimming lessons. Yeah. It just happened. I don't remember this at all. Remember being in the swimming pool, and then I remember waking up in hospital with a space of about three hours, I think, something like that. But according to people that were there, my my mum was there. You know, she said that I was awake the whole time and knew what was going on, but I didn't have a clue. I was completely not there at all. You need to know your own personal limits. Um, that that's very very important because. If you don't know them, then you can't convince other people of these things. Um, and the other thing is, is, is don't give up on things like, and everyone says this, but, but don't give up on it. Welcome to Unexpected Turns with myself, Anne Dibbon and Beverly Evans. We tend to think of heart attacks as happening to people in their 40s and 50s, as was the case with Beverly. Yet when a child blacks out, heart failure isn't immediately thought of. Today, we talk to the super resilient Chris, my nephew, who survived numerous heart failures before the age of 13. Why? What was going on? And what effect has it had on his life and his family? This is my lovely nephew, Chris. Hello. Hi, Chris. Yeah, well, I've met you, haven't I? I was only thinking earlier, and it must be like about 18 years ago. All right. So I can remember a few occasions. Once was a bonfire fireworks evening. I might have been at your school. Possibly. Yeah. But you've changed a lot, <laughs> obviously, grown up. How old are you now? 32. Oh, my goodness. That makes <laughs> me feel ancient. It's very kind of Chris to come here and talk to us. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thank yeah. I know you so well, Chris, but I remember how it affected all of us. But do you remember anything about what happened to you when you were seven and you were in the swimming pool? Do you remember anything? Oh, when we were on holiday. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we went to Centre Parks. I remember That's that. Right, yeah. Um, I can't remember if James was there as well. No, he wasn't. Um, it was like a film ride thing. And all of us were just around and I just got stuck in it, um, stuck under the water. Oh. And then, yeah, uh, I can't remember if mum pulled me out or whether I managed to get out myself, but the lifeguard was there, like literally next to me, didn't do anything. And then I blacked out. Yeah, and I remember that. Remember that. And then the next thing is they were checking my blood sugar levels and blood pressure. And they said it was fine. Yeah. And it was just a very quick check over with the medical staff on site. And I mean, you were fine and you carried on, yeah. you carried on swimming. And, yeah, nothing happened after no. that. No. So I've got a condition that's called long QT. Um, what that is, is it's an arrhythmic condition of the heart. And where the points of the heart are labelled, the distance between Q and T is too long, which causes the heart to be out of rhythm and then too fast which then means you don't get enough oxygen and you black out and die. And the condition is actually known as adult sudden death syndrome. Yeah. Um, so it's quite... Yeah, yeah. It's quite... It was a rare condition, but they found a lot more since. Um, there weren't many people living with it at the time, from what I understand. Um, somewhere there's a whole file of newspaper cuttings from some poor woman whose entire, almost entire family died from it. Yeah. Without her even knowing. God. Um 
but you know, thankfully it didn't happen to me. I mean, I became aware, you know, it's easy to look back on things. The first time I ever remember having any kind of problem was, I was very young, uh, possibly four. Um, I went to the Southampton Sports Centre and then I was watching mum, uh, my mum running, and I walked off and was just under a tree and then I got up off of the floor and I didn't know what happened. And I couldn't explain it. Yeah. But that, that was a very long time ago. No one really sort of understood what had happened and they were more worried that I'd gone missing than what had happened yeah. because no one thought anything. And it was a very, very hot day. So it could have been anything. Yeah. But that that's what I remember. I don't know how. And you can remember that as long ago as four. I think I was four. I don't know exactly. I have some memories going back before school, before I was in big school, like like primary school reception. Yeah. So, Gosh. Uh, My memory is from when you were older than that, just before you were actually diagnosed. Yeah. So so that that that's the first time that I remember. But this, this is when you look back on it, you think, ah, oh, well, that possibly was that. But you don't know. Yeah. And of course, I was so young, I wouldn't have understood what was going on. No. So then the next time, I can't remember if it was when we were in Centre Parks, which we talked about a minute ago, or whether it was when I was in school. Um, there was once when we were running around the playground and I actually fainted in the playground somewhere and then have to convince people, well, trying to convince the teachers that that actually happened to me. Because they thought I was just hiding off and i was actually late into from playground into class and it took quite a while for them to realize that something did happen Mm. and then i think it was grandpa came to pick me up um he was the only one available and that point i didn't actually want to go home so it was a bit of a weird one Mm. and then of course what what happened afterwards was between this was between years five and six So that summer we went to Spain, remember that? Um, started, moved house. No, we moved house the year before. Mo- moved house in November 2000. So this would have been summer 2001. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we went to Spain. Remember that? I think all of us were there. We were all there. Yeah, yeah, loads and loads of us, yeah. Um, I don't remember anything happening there. It's when we came back from Spain that we really found out what was going on. Um with this heart condition and what what led to that well we started off with the summer holiday we had swimming lessons and it just happened i don't remember this at all um remember being in the swimming pool and then i remember waking up in hospital gosh with a space of about three hours i think something like that Mm. um but according to people that were there, my mum my was there, you know, she said that I was awake the whole time and knew what was going on, but I didn't have a clue. I was completely not there at all. And they gave me a 24-hour tape. Yeah. Which in those days, I know it sounds, I sound old now, but in those days it was cassette tape that they just strapped onto you and then strapped eyes in your chest like an ECG to give me, um, to give them 24 hours of heartbeat recording. Okay. And she stayed at a friend's house when I had that on as well, who lived up the road from me. And then after that, they said there was no problems. 
one of those things. So back to swimming lessons, it was almost the same, what, two days later, something like that. And I remember, remember how this happened. It was very weird. Um, got out of the swimming pool, looked across, told, I think my mum was there, just said that I couldn't see anything and just walked towards the table so that I didn't fall straight on the floor. Yeah. And that, that's what happened. So yeah, that's what happened to me. And then that's the time that they had to shock me, I believe. Yeah. That's, um, that's... Yeah, and uh, Tantini was there as well. And, yeah. And was Oma right? Tantini and Oma yeah, were there. Yeah. Oma, we yeah. were all there. Yeah, so we had, we had family from Holland as well over at the time. Okay. So, you know, there was a lot of people there. Um, And then, yeah, and then afterwards I said I was fine. And everyone was saying I wasn't. And they took me to hospital. I don't think I wasn't there very long. Or was I in overnight? I think that they kept you in they kept you in hospital overnight, from what I remember. See, I, I don't remember I don't remember whether I was there overnight or not. But this, you know, the second time in a week this has happened. Mm. Um, and I think the third or fourth time that year. So obviously something was wrong. And then I went home. I know I went home. Mm. And then we went out to dinner, actually, and then came back and there was an answer phone message that said that we had to go back to hospital. And that was that. I went back to hospital and I was stuck there for six weeks, something like that. It was a long time. It was a long, long It's a very long time. Because they didn't they didn't know very much no, about long PT it. then. They, they, there was something wrong, but they had to really yeah, study but it. They didn't, didn't they? know what was actually wrong with me in the first no. place. So they tested me for epilepsy. Yeah. That was pretty horrible, actually. When they stick you on this bed and they strap you down so you can't move, and then they fire all these lights on your eyes and tilt you almost upside down and weird angles to try and yes. trigger whatever it yeah. is, which didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the the exercise tests where you just run on a treadmill until you literally can't go any more, which nothing happened there either. So... But yeah, no, there wasn't very much they knew about it. Had a lot of blood taken. <laughs> I can remember you complaining about all that. <laughs> it, they they took and they took an insane. They took so much. They they had. I mean, I don't know what they normally. I think they normally take about a pint or something when you do blood donations. They took a lot more than that. They sent blood to Italy and two or three other places, you know, because they really did want to understand what was going on. And they had, they they eventually got the genetic sequence. Um, I mean, I was just in hospital and just sort of stuck in my own world, really, of, of not having anything to do. The best they could do was give us a PlayStation for an hour each day, but that was on rotation. Television, I mean, you didn't have what you have now, so it was all either you went into the community area and hoped that everyone wanted to watch the same thing as you, yeah. or you just with not watching anything. And they're very strict on age-appropriate programs. So, you know, not that I was into it, but they wouldn't let me watch EastEnders because they thought it was too young, yeah. which I thought was crazy. Um, wasn't allowed to leave the ward for a time. That wasn't very nice. You know, oh, would you like to come downstairs and buy an ice cream? Uh, yes, I would, but no, can't go anywhere. And then eventually they allowed, we, we argued that, and eventually I had to go downstairs in a wheelchair even though I was perfectly capable of walking, there was nothing physically. Well, obviously there was something wrong, but you know, but I wasn't on medication at the time, so 
No. They were just being cautious. Met someone called Clarissa while I was there. I used to terrorise the nurses. I used to spin around their nurse station at three o'clock in the morning. I remember we, Clarissa. Yeah, she she died actually. She died. Yeah. She, yeah. It was it was it was really sad. Me, my sister did. My sister has the same condition as I do, and she also came into the hospital. But that was much later in the summer, after they'd done the genetic tests and they took genetic tests from from everyone. So they took it from my sister first. And then my mum and dad found out from my dad's side of the family and they investigated them. So my aunt, my dad's sister doesn't have it. Um, His half-sister doesn't have it. And his brother, his two brothers, one refused to get tested. He said, there's no point. It's not going to affect me now. And he doesn't have any children. And the other one said he doesn't want to affect his life insurance policy. So he refused. And he's got two young girls who we don't even see. And the way this condition works is for for females, it, it increases the risk as you get older. So I don't know if there's going to be any problems from that, but they've not been tested. Mm. But my, my poor grandma on my dad's side, she, she had to get tested and she had all these things stuck to her and blood tests and she wasn't very happy about that. She wasn't very well, though, at the time, was she? Um, she? She'd already started to become unwell. No, 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 no. She was all right. Oh, she didn't have a lung condition? No, 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 no. The lung, that was much later. Okay, okay. I think she just didn't want the complications that might come with it if it was her, and then she's got to worry about all of her children and all of her grandchildren as well. But the suspicion is it came from her late husband, who died in 1970. Very mysterious what he actually died from. He was diabetic, and they just put it down to diabetic complications. But of course, right. nobody really knows. So this is a hereditary genetic condition. Yes. Yeah? yes, that's right. How do they treat it now? Has your treatment changed over the years since you were yes. first diagnosed? Yes, it did. So to start with, we had propanolol, which is quite a nasty, nasty one. Um, we had to take it orally uh, by syringe, sort of well, syringe or spoon, but it tasted so nasty. Just normally, we'd get a syringe and just squirt it in as fast as possible because that's how nasty it was. It was five or six times a day at one point. Yeah, it was crazy. It's a lot. And then eventually it did calm down and we were released uh, from hospital. I mean, it felt like prison, but it was hospital anyway. And um, back to school, you know, that was interesting. I think I missed some of the first bit of school. I can't remember. But my friend from school told everyone that I died, which was quite funny. <laughs> um, so there was quite a few people surprised to see me. So, and then of course we had to have special permission to meet up with my sister, who was in the lower half of primary school, to tell and take all these tablets together. And uh, we used to have to meet in the morning break, and then I used to get us and in like. The lower school bit used to have a break in the morning, a lunch break and an afternoon break. But in the upper school, you only got morning and lunch. Mm. So I used to have to get special permission to have an extra break in the afternoon to go and meet her to take these. And sometimes we just do it between the two playgrounds and sometimes it'd be in the teacher's office. It was just one of those. It was quite strange. Um, Because I remember the school refused to take any responsibility for your medication and you had to take it all yourself. Yeah, 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 they refused. Yeah, that was, you know. That was a real shock to me. You're talking about me. I was 
nine or ten, and you know, my sister's only four. Uh, she's two years younger than me, so she's seven, and they they're putting all this responsibility on us. Um, yeah, it was quite. I mean, I wasn't sort of in the side of it like that, but yeah. Um, but certainly, it did affect the family planning, um, which was quite nice. My mum always wanted to have a third child, and this basically turned put her off it completely because she said she couldn't go through yeah. having another child not knowing whether they were going to have this condition or not mm -hmm. and then having to deal with it if they did or didn't you know and she felt also if they didn't it would be very unfair yeah she decided not to do that so it's difficult obviously it had a huge impact on you but it did have an impact as you say on all of the family yes yes how, yes, how did your school friends react you know when you were suddenly having to take all these tablets and there was the teachers at school I remember they wouldn't let you do certain exercises and things um, so no that, that wasn't and this is this is all in year six right um so it didn't really make much difference um you know lots of people had problems you know there was lots of inhalers and hay fever tablets even then going around so it wasn't that abnormal to be honest um you know, people, they they just sort of dealt with it. So yeah, that that was summer two thousand and one. Yeah, yeah, quite a while. And then you went off to secondary school. Well, yeah, but before that, of course, um, your mum died, didn't she, Grandma? She that did, was that yeah. was late two thousand, uh, mid two thousand and two. She did, yeah. So all of this has gone on in the space of a year. Mm. You know, and she, she, um obviously put on a very brave face because at the time she was ill herself and she hadn't told many people either no she didn't um she put off telling people because of what happened to me uh which i thought was very sad in some ways yeah um yeah she she didn't want to burden especially my mum with that on top of it and she didn't think what she had was that serious it was serious but I don't think she thought it through as much as she should have no i think i think again treatment for that for that breast cancer was very different and they yes they didn't investigate it as they no. as they should have done no thankfully things things are, are a lot better now aren't they and as you say i'm sure yeah. for your condition as well it they, they must have, must be you know big improvements in treatment and diagnosis now i'm sure so i don't know what the diagnosis is like um but certainly the drugs that I take, propanolol is what they have to give to children. Um, it's one of those things where there, there's certain drugs where to get good dosage, you have to give these drugs to children, even though they're quite harmful. So the propanolol that I was taking, it didn't really make that much difference to me um, in terms of physicalness. But certainly for my sister, she put on more weight which is one of the side effects of it and then we both have this horrendous cough that just would never go away and that's another side effect. side effect and then another side effect was having night terrors and mm. mild personality changes as well so it was all yeah it was very it was a very weird time and what what was the purpose of this was it to regulate the the heart rhythm or yeah so so the beta blockers regulate the heart rhythm so they stop it from going too fast 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, once once we got over the propanol and had all the correct dosages, we moved on to a different drug, uh, which was called a tenanol. Uh, both me and my sister were on the same one. But because my risk was different to hers, the propanol was something like 120 milligrams three times a day or four times a day, something like that. It was a lot. Mm. Um, the one after that was started as 25 milligrams, uh, which was which was nothing. And we had revealed pluses, actually. Um, so, so not long after all this happened, we both went back into the hospital to have a revealed plus fitted. Yeah. It's just a, a long-term recording, heart recording device oh. that actually goes under the skin. Yeah. And it does it records and you get well, it came with a little box. So it would continuously record for I think it was two years, something like that. But if you had an event or you thought something was happening to you, you would get this little box that you always had to carry with you, stick it over the top and press the button, and that would highlight the event that you wanted or that you thought was causing you a problem and then you had to go into the hospital and then they had to read that by putting a device over the top to connect to it and then wipe it clean again and I remember setting mine off a few times um yeah because I felt that that was happening um turns out that there wasn't actually anything wrong um so the beta blockers were doing their jobs but where what had happened to me had happened. And I think, at the, the first, I didn't think that it was serious at all. But of course, where I'd been resuscitated in front of family members, um, it, they impressed on me a slight panic. So a lot of the times that I would activate this thing was more through panic rather than anything else. Anxiety and yeah, I can. Yeah, so it did. It did cause me to have some panic attacks as well, and I was taken from school in an ambulance once or twice. Yeah, it creates very similar symptoms, doesn't it? You know, so yes. any kind of panic attack or anxiety attacks. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so... Fully understandable. It must have been very difficult for you living with that. Yeah, the, the reveal plus was was annoying um, because very uncomfortable didn't like it and then the doctors recommended that we have another one so they take the first one out put a new one in for another two years and I didn't want it but I didn't have a say um yeah. my mum decided that was what was best and that was extremely painful oh. um it was a lot more painful the, the second time round. Uh, my dad had one fitted as well uh, but he was awake when he had his done, so yeah, yeah. you can be, but I, I wasn't old enough for that, really. So no, I mean, you said it had an effect on your life that you became more anxious and you had panic attacks. Yes, the fact that you had, you know, had this condition, and you also mentioned something about there were personality changes. Yeah, Did you feel any of that applied to you, or so I definitely had some night terrors from it. Yeah. Um, self-diagnosing personality changes is you couldn't do it you no. can't do that so i don't know to be honest i have no idea and obviously because of the stage of life i was in you go through changes anyway yeah. so i don't think people would know to be honest if that did or didn't happen to me but but certainly the the horrendous coughing went on for months mm -hmm. and the the night terrors it wasn't horrendous the one afterwards 
the new one, the Atenonol, the side effect of that was depression. Right. So you you're coping with all of this and, and adolescence, puberty, all those things at the same time, yeah. you know. So as you say, this it's it's difficult, isn't it, to know exactly, you know. Yeah. We we haven't gone back to even further than that. So so if we go back actually before any of this happened. When I was in first started primary school, I used to miss a lot of school through tonsillitis. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember doing that. And going back further than that, something else happened to me, but I don't know. You fell. So I don't know anything about this, um, but I did have a fractured skull when I was very, very young. You fell, yeah. It fell down the stairs. The landing. Fell off. Fell off the landing. Yes. I do remember the tonsillitis. Um. And certainly missing out on things like my mum, my dad, and um, we, well, they all went on to a holiday to the Isle of Wight. They literally they went to the Isle of Wight for a weekend, and I couldn't go because I was so ill. Mm. So I did have my tonsils removed. I mean, you've had a lot happen, Chris. As you said, it affected you. You yes. said about depression. I know you've talked about stuff yeah. becoming depressed. Particularly well, when you were a teenager, didn't you? Well, yeah. This, this is the thing with the, with this atenol. Go back to what I said a minute ago. Start started at twenty five milligrams, and it was the same for my sister. And then mine went up to fifty, and then hers went up to fifty, and then mine went up to seventy five, and she stayed on fifty. But I remember having to take two different tablets with different doses every morning. It was better than having to take it two or three times a day, but mm. you know, it was still a pain to deal with. It's difficult. I mean, it's had a huge, it's had a huge impact on your life, Chris. Yes. But you've done like amazingly. You went to school. You did really, really well in all your GCSEs and A yes. levels. You were like a top star pupil. But what you wanted to do, I know you went to university, but well, what you yes. really wanted to do was you wanted to do something with the trains because that's always been a great life, yes. hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I mean, it's it was it's there it's there in the family, isn't it? You you all really like trains don't you you know i remember uh yes going over to the uh the trains with you oh yeah yeah definitely well that, that that's different now so so there's, there's loads to talk about in there um the impact it had because that was something you really loved and you okay. finally you finally well, yeah got yeah on. yeah we've got this eventually got a job as an apprentice yeah and the pay is rubbish but the give you, you know, border lodgings and you live in Gosport. Um, so, you know, and they said, you That's, know, I applied for this. Yeah, that was at the railway, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, this is this is with Network Rail. So I applied for this because a friend of mine was doing very well out of it. Yes. And he'd only been there a few years. So I thought, you know, and this is something that I would have liked, I should have applied for before, but it doesn't matter. So we get there and... The medical that I needed to take it was, first of all, it was cancelled and then it was postponed and it was done the last week of August. And they said, oh, well, we can't actually give you a pass on this medical. They said, but I'm actually due to go and stay in Gosport in less than a week. You know, what can you do? And eventually they, they made some phone calls and they said, yes, that's, that's fine. So they effectively bypassed the medical to get me in. Right. I don't know why they do that. Um, but they moved me onto a different course so that I wouldn't be working on my own because that presented a risk to them. Okay. And then there was a lot of um, backwards and forwards about 
uh, what sort of job role that I could have. And there was a lot of backwards and forwards about whether the manager would accept that I was a higher risk employee. And then I spent a lot of time and so did my mum arguing with the cardiologist to try and get them to to quantify a risk, which they refused. Um, So, of course, while all of that's going on as well, um, my dad's mum is is very ill. I spent some of the time in the summer before I went there helping to look after her a little bit. And she became very ill, which made it very difficult for me to, to fight my case that I should be there and didn't have as much risk as what they were implying whilst also dealing with that um and she passed away in early no late well she passed away in november or late early december that year yeah. and they eventually they decided that i couldn't stay there so i had to leave yeah. um i mean you must have been, you must have been devastated chris you've got your grandma and you've well, got that yeah it was it was very difficult but it was quite good. I was in the union, and they they said that they would they would fight this, and they said it was unfair, and they said that the company should have given me another job role. Yeah, they were going to fight this corner, and they sounded very positive, and it sounded very good and positive. And then the person who was dealing with it, he died. So all of it just got missed. Basically, it's just one of those things. But you dealt um, you dealt with it very well. You you left that, and it was really hard because you yeah. had to, you had to go. You had left home. You were independent, yeah. and now you had to go back home again. Yes, yeah. again. What what was that like, Chris? Having to return home, having oh. kind of got your dream job supposedly, and well, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the dream job. It wasn't entirely what I wanted, but I thought it was going to be as close as I could have got at the time. Yeah with having the condition I have so you know it it was quite difficult um how did you cope with that what did you I think you've got very good strategies for coping when things are difficult how did you cope with it well I didn't go back to work so I had a before that I had a job in a catering company and I didn't go back to that I didn't have any employment I mean the union did I did get a payout from them and I had some inheritance as well. So I didn't do anything really from January to almost April. Although I was helping my dad because he'd not long had a hip operation. It was all at the same, it all happens at the same time, honestly. Yeah. A lot of things to to deal with always. Oh, always, yeah. So so yeah, it's been an up and down roller coaster. You have gone through a lot, and you've cut, you've come out of it. But as you say, it was it was difficult. What do you do to help you cope when life is difficult? I mean, diff- different things. I mean, one of the strategies that a lot of people would use is is taking drugs. Um, because of this heart condition, drugs have always been completely out of the question. So, you know, when you mentioned I've been to university, they people took drugs there all the time. And they would offer you this and you think, but as much as I might like to try this, you just can't because the risk of you actually dying from that is is very high. Mm. So able to enjoy the coping mechanisms that some people might, um, which I suppose is a good thing in a lot of ways. Um, so I've never been into that. I've got, I mean, I play the guitar, so that that's quite a, 
Well, that must be that must be really good for you, you know, to help you yeah. unwind and relax. Music must must be a yeah. it's a huge therapy, isn't it? For lots of people. Just listening to music as well. Exactly. Um, and going going places going places is always a good thing. So if anything does go horribly wrong, I quite like to go somewhere. So down to Western Shore, which is near where we live in Southampton. It's really peaceful, especially at night with the lights. And sometimes just walk around the countryside. Sometimes, sometimes on my own, sometimes not. So that that always helps. You you must be very proud though of what you've achieved and had to put up with and come through. Um, to be honest, like it's one of see if you're going to be proud of these things, you you have to think about it. And some of these things, if you don't think about all the time i mean certainly that is one of the coping mechanisms a lot of people use is you ignore it and some of these things that have happened to me i've i've just ignored or, or tried not to worry about it so so when you look back on it of course like you do have a sense of self-pride that you've managed to overcome all of these things which is it's quite uplifting in ways it is are there ad other people that you can talk to with the condition? You know, are there advice or help, you know, support groups? Um, no, I haven't been in, I've definitely never been involved in any kind of support group. Um, the only support I ever had, um, well, we had some counselling, but the only support I ever had from the hospital staff was when we were in all that time, and I was with earlier, I mentioned this Clarissa, when we went back in again later to have the Reveal Plus device fitted, Clarissa had passed away and we got put in a separate room and that was the support that they gave me and my sister. Yeah. Right. I don't know what to say, Christopher. You, you've you really come such a long way and I think you've achieved so much. I would love to ask you what advice you would give other people. Chris, it's been lovely talking to you. You've talked a lot about your difficulties. Would you say that you are content now? Um, not entirely, no. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't think you ever should be. Um, you know, if you're extremely happy where you are and everything's going really well, then you just sort of slide down into into somewhere you don't want to be. If that makes sense, that that's that's my experience. You know, if you're if you're not moving forwards, then you're moving backwards. Very good. So that that's that's my outlook on things. So, you know, I'm not unhappy, but you know, there is there's certain aspects that of my current situation that would obviously be nice to have or not have. You know, just how it is. So what would your aims be? You said it's good to go and keep moving forward. Yes. What would you like to do moving forward? Um, so currently I drive what they uh, is, is I have a driving license, just a standard driving license. So I currently drive uh, up to three and a half tons. Would quite like to go onto the bigger lorries. Um, but again, I don't know if this heart condition will be allowed. See, this, this is the problem. Um, so that would take me up to to eighteen tons. I don't know if you would, if the medical to go up to the really big full on articulated lorries 
is the same or whether it's more strict or you know you might pass the medical and find that a company won't employ you because of these risks so that's something i'd like to do is just drive bigger vehicles because i think it would just be interesting and different to what i'm doing now which, which surprisingly for the condition i've got which is triggered by strenuous exercise the job that i have is quite physically intensive so but i don't find there to be any limitations from this too too much you know there are certain times when i thought you know i have to stop and go that's enough for me and you just have to know your own limits you know it's like if you were drinking alcohol if you don't know your own limits you end up very ill exactly so you've got to know what you're doing in a way you seem very sorted in what you can and can't do yourself yes. with your condition but as you say you've lived with it yeah so obviously i've known about this for about about at least 20 years so you have the experience to know what what is and isn't good i still do not like swimming um after all of that i still afterwards i used to still enjoy swimming um but now i don't no not at all um don't mind it in the sea um See, this is this is one of the things that scientists always say is the thing that triggers your memory the most is smell. So I think it's the smell of chlorine is quite off-putting to me. Yeah, I can understand um, that. So that's I don't like bleach either, um, no. for those reasons. So you so you've said moving forward you want to drive bigger lorries. Yes. Have you got any other aims? Because I know you are still very involved with the trains and. Well, building your own train. Well, yeah, this is it. I'm building my own my own train, um, slowly. Uh, that that's something I would like to see finished eventually. Um, but that that requires a lot more effort and money to put into that. Um, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Hopefully, one day. So you've got you've got aims. Yeah, pl- plenty of things to do. Um, there's there's lots going on. So it's very busy at the moment. Well, it's good to be busy. Yes. Is there any advice that you would um, give other people if they are having restrictions placed on them because of a condition they've got? Would you give them any advice? Yeah, I mean, my my advice, or if you if you've got these sorts of things, is first of all you need to know your own personal limits. Um, that that's very very important because. If you don't know them, then you can't convince other people of these things. Um, and the other thing is, is, is don't give up on things like and everyone says this, but but don't give up on it because there are there are certain things that I can't do, which I've had to come to terms with eventually. But you can find other things that are equally, if not more, enjoyable than what you would have wanted to do in the first place. That's just, you know, so I always wanted to drive steam trains, um, but that's something I definitely can't do. Just because of the risk that I have, it's just how it is. But I can still drive smaller ones, so there is still the opportunity to do that. And there are other things that I can do as well that are just as rewarding, like... Unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, they've been cancelled. But 
used to really enjoy the the Santa specials at the railway. Um, that was a it was a very big achievement for me. I've, that that is for me is one of my personal achievements is being able to go into a whole load of well walk into about sixty people that don't know who you are and then make them laugh at your terrible jokes and keep them occupied while they're waiting for other things to happen. Through that, I managed to get on television. Oh, right. Yeah, two and a half seconds. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not joking. Um, yeah, it was literally that. But, you know, at least it wasn't on Crime Watch. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So. No, and definitely in the right direction. Yes. Well, you like you like entertaining people. So, well, thank you, Christopher. No, it's not a problem. Great thank advice. You. Know your own limits. Yes. And don't give up. Yes. The other thing is is make sure that there is a support network. You know, it, it doesn't matter who you reach out to. There is always somebody that can help you, even if you don't believe in that. Yeah. I do agree. You have to talk to somebody. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. You know, sometimes you could... It's all about having a a little bit of self-confidence, but sometimes you could just talk to a total stranger and then suddenly they become one of your best friends. Mm. So, it happens. There are always people there to talk to. And you can always come and talk to me. Well, thank you. Well, thank you very much, Christopher. I will leave it there. Thank you for having me. been brilliant Christopher thank you nice to see you yes lovely to talk to you too as well you know you, you've obviously gone through a tremendous amount which um I, I really knew nothing about you know so um you seem to be in a good place now thank you to Chris for a very sobering and inspiring discussion it is as he says so important to know your own limits but to never give up And thank you to you, our listeners. We hope you'll join us next week when we talk to Mark Ind, the CEO of a charity very close to my heart, Wessex Heartbeat. Until then, take care and look after your heart. Bye. Hopefully the sound quality on this particular episode is okay. Because at the moment, I'm a little bit excited by the joining of two hearts, as my younger son and the beautiful Abby are getting married in just a few days' time. So I'm rapidly trying to put all of this together before we go away for that wonderful wedding. Bye.